0: Back in the 1990s, Colombia was ranked fourth in the world on a list of nations possessing the greatest quantity of fresh water per inhabitant. But by 2015, its ranking plummeted down to 24, and today it's believed to be even lower. Today on the America's Now podcast, we talk about water in Colombia, from the majestic Andean Mountains to the Amazon rainforest. As water scarcity becomes a growing global concern, CGTN correspondent Michelle Begge traveled hundreds of miles across the country, visiting glaciers, rivers, and swamps to profile some Colombians leading the way in promoting water conservation. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Elaine. So Michelle, we know that Colombia is a small country, but it basically has every kind of landscape that would satisfy everyone but it's also rich in natural resources. So for those who have not been there to visit, describe for us these different landscapes so we can get a visual picture in our heads of Colombia. Yes, Colombia is super diverse. And
1: that was one of the reasons why we wanted to do this story um, or how we started to explore it because we wanted to show that diversity. I mean, we've got we've got Amazon rainforest. Um, some people might not even really know that we've got a, a chunk of it bordering with Brazil and Peru. Um, but then we've also got two oceans um, one that's towards the atlantic caribbean and then the other pacific which is rare for countries and then we've got places called they're called the paramos in spanish these are areas that are under snow-capped mountains, but then above sea level. They're called like high-altitude wetlands. And they're very specific to Ecuador, Peru, Venezuela, and you don't see them in many other places around the world. So you've got just completely different scenes, colors, uh, animals, obviously. And that was something that we really wanted to be able to reflect. Oh, and then obviously we've got the snow-capped mountains, which I... For one, never really imagined that we had these like mountainous glaciers, um, especially when you think about Colombia being near the equator and not having these huge like shift in seasons. Uh, visually, you know, we don't have the the red autumns and the white winters, but we do have these areas that, because of their altitude and such, they do have snow, and we're seeing less and less of it, uh, unfortunately, because of you know man-made situations that we've created.
0: Right. It sounds like at one point there was this super abundance of water there. And as you mentioned, water is life and you followed the route of water. So where did you start and what did you see? So basically, when we were looking
1: at all these all these different places, we decided, okay, well, what connects them? And obviously, water connects us all. And even our body, as we mentioned in the story, is, is 75% water. Um, and so we decided to try to find the story behind water in each different type of geographic location. And one of the places that we started was these snow-capped mountains because of the fact that they're under threat and in colombia in 20 years we may not have these snow-capped mountains so we were we really wanted to make sure to have that element of the story because each year as a journalist you know monitoring different stories you you start to read and see like okay you know these mountains are no longer having uh, glaciers you know trying to track down where could we tell this story so we started there and then we have the amazon rainforest which a lot of people think about how it's the lungs of you know the world because of the trees and everything, but we don't really sometimes pay attention so much to the water element. There are many rivers and some of the greatest rivers in the world that are in the Amazon, the Amazon River. And so that was another aspect we wanted to explore and, and going there in Colombia, unfortunately, in terms of rivers has also had a lot of uh, issues as they are drying up, uh, they can't navigate Boats can't go down the rivers anymore and and those kinds of things. So we went to the Amazon rainforest. We went to the wet uh, highlands, which is a very unique place where the water really begins. It comes from the mountains there and all of this ecosystem, which is very rare, all of the different plants that are there that that many people have never seen before all have a part in this water cycle. And then lastly, you know, ending up in the oceans. We wanted to have an element of the oceans, obviously. We wanted to see what people
0: were doing to help all of these different ecosystems. So it sounds like there's been a sense of urgency in recent years to protect the country's water sources. You live there and you're raising a family in Colombia. So how concerned are you about water and how has this story inspired any changes in your life and in the way that you use and see water?
1: This is um, this is super interesting, Elaine, because yes, I feel like as human beings, sometimes we're drawn to like the problems and the fear in the sad way. Um, and so definitely the problem was something that attracted us right away, right? My God, you know, what are we going to do about water in the future? That's something I always think about with my girls. What are we doing to our water resources? And so the problem definitely attracted me at first, but in the end, I knew also that we needed to find what was being done to solve the the issue. And there are just so many inspiring stories of people who are actually doing things to change the the future. And I don't know about you, Elaine, but I grew up thinking about the only people who can change things are usually presidents or people who are in the public sphere. And when I got here and through these 10 years of reporting, I've just met so many inspiring, citizens, and you see that in the U.S. as well, but in Colombia I had no idea that there's just so many inspiring citizens that are just doing stuff in their daily lives to change their future and the future of their country. And it's and specifically in water, I once interviewed a, a family who lived in a slum in Bogota. They definitely are an inspiration to me and, and, and to think about water use differently. They Talk to me about how they changed their water use at home with simple techniques of even like reusing the water that they used with their kids when they washed them brushing their teeth always turning off the faucets and such Um, and this was a program that they did with the local government but just their passion when speaking about it i was just like they don't have to pay for water here you know i have to pay for water because i have a certain income and so i have to pay for the water that i use they didn't but they conserved it so much. And here I could, you know, pay for it. So I used so much more. And it was just very inspiring. And that that was something that I wanted to show in this story that there are just people from different points in life that do their part in try to change and conserve the environment and specifically water from whatever way they can or position in life that they can. And that's in the end, was the beautiful part about doing this story is that, yeah, you have a problem, but you have people also that are doing their best to solve it. And and we can all do that, you know? Well, you know, I
0: want to focus in on that, because you profile a couple of women in your piece, uh, these champions of natures, if you will. What moved them and, and initiated their fight to save water and to save the environment? Um, it was really neat because these women, I mean, it turned out that like most
1: of them were women and also that they were in different points of their lives um, and had different types of careers. Right. And so, you know, it's interesting because you you think that the typical answer is like, oh, the kids, you know, the the women who have children and grandchildren, they want to do something for their future. But then you had this scientist woman who didn't have children of her own. But um, all of them, I guess, their common is that, they radiated this passion and love just for the environment, like for what they were doing. It was very internal. Like, yes, there are things external that inspired them. And so, yeah, you did have the mother, the indigenous woman that we interviewed, Claudia. She actually trekked and and went up with her nine-month-old um, to the glaciers. And for her, her inspiration, she'd always say, you know, clearly was the future generations. But it was really like all of them had this just internal drive uh, and love. I, I can't really explain it more than than that just you know a passion a passion for what they were doing of believing in their core that this is what they needed to do in life and it was super contagious i mean you definitely when you were there you were just immersed by their conviction what and they needed to do and and how they did it. It wasn't so much concern, maybe that's the commonality. It it was the concern, but you when you were with them, it, a concern for the future. But it, you didn't leave these interviews thinking, oh my god, you know we're all gonna die. Mm-hmm. You you were more it, like the the love part. You know was much more contagious. Of like, okay, if I set out to do something, I can do it. You know, and I will make a difference, and I will be able to create change. I mean, the woman we interviewed for the paramos, the, the wetlands, she conducted a whole brigade of trying to get people to vote against a huge mining company's um, exploration of fracking and mining in the area where she lives. And and they were able to do it. And, they, and the people voted against, you know, fracking. And this wow. is a woman who, she's not an, like, she didn't grow up saying, oh, I'm going to be an activist. But Everything that she does, it was just, you know, she believes in it and she loves her land. She loved the the regions. And that's what she wanted to
0: share and protect. You know, we, we keep hearing this global call for uh, caring for the environment and, and climate change. I mean, it's such a big issue. Would you say Colombia's government is making the environment a priority there? I mean, we know that it's been so busy with many other political issues. So where does the environment? stack up in all of this and and what are some other areas of environmental concern other than water
1: I think that is a difficult question because definitely I think that Colombia we could always do more definitely I think that there you do hear a message of you know we want to put the environment first but at the same time there is sometimes an underlying fear that if they don't go the development route of mining and taking advantage of some of these natural resources that that progress won't come and and so there is a constant battle between in the environment and trying to extract natural resources and for the taxes that that brings in and the income that that brings in for the government. And having traveled as a journalist to places like Costa Rica, sometimes you feel like there may be other countries that have understood that maybe, you know, uh, conserving our natural resources can be our thing. And and I feel like Colombia sometimes says this, but in their policy struggles with how to handle it, struggles with, okay, well, where do we meet the balance? How can we do all of this? And, and, and it's hard. Hopefully, hopefully they will
0: strike that balance. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, this family that you noticed in Bogota. And you, I know in this story, you spent a lot of time in the rural areas. Would you say that there is as much awareness in the bigger, bigger cities and urban centers as there is out in the country? I think there is an awareness, definitely. When you go to a lot of the rural
1: areas, you do see a lot of people and families who do speak with a lot of passion about the places that they live in, the the natural resources, conservation. But at the same time, they're looking for those opportunities economically to be able to continue a lifestyle where they can put food on the table, but at the same time conserve the environment, and and that is a battle. But at the end of the day, I think that what I've seen from reporting, what I've seen from from meeting people, is that the input of one person makes the difference much more. Elaine, we've we've had to cover the climate change conferences year after year, where you have all of these government officials who sit down and try to get. Everyone to conserve, you know, and and try to bring change, climate change, and and help the environment. And in the end, nothing usually happens, you know, or there's small steps are taken. And I've always felt that when I see these people who are in the rural areas, at home in in the cities, doing something to change their environment, they're making much bigger steps than a government almost could ever, you know. And and I think that it starts with knowledge, with knowing, um, thinking about our environment. Uh, I'm seeing more rural schools in Columbia taking steps to acknowledge the richness of their environment, where they're living, trying to figure out how can we keep people staying in the rural areas, not going to the cities, conserving these natural resources. So I think we're taking the the, the positive steps, um, and it's just we need to remember that everyone can do it. It feels like a cliche sometimes, but it is so
0: true. It is so true. Right, because I mean everyone is very motivated. You're right. When you go and you hear, you know, these promises or these goals, and so it is, you know, taking that first step or just doing your part or doing what you can. Um, I guess my last question, Michelle, is there one thing that you think people should know? For those who may have seen your story or haven't seen your story, you know, we've been talking about water. But what what is probably the one thing that you didn't include that you think people should know? I think what
1: I would love for people to take away is that you can... Um, take part in conservation from any different sector so we in this story explored scientists you know activism culture you don't even think about how culture and like arts can play a part in in bringing about conservation and then the spiritual aspect uh, from an indigenous community but truly believing that there is a connection a deeper connection to the environment and that it, what you are doing to the planet is something that you are kind of of returning to yourself, right? And there is a, a very deep uh, spiritual aspect to that. So I, I think that what I would love for people to come away with is that okay, let's think about what other ways you can push conservation from all of these different aspects of of life, music, and and I think that that was what surprised me most when I was doing this story that it was like all connecting, you know, different people from different paths of life, different people who were doing it from different aspects of society. So yeah, think out of
0: the box, (laughs) I guess. Michelle Begay, thank you so much for joining us on the America's Now podcast. Thank you, Elaine. Always enjoyable. And that's it for this edition of the America's Now podcast. To listen to the first full season of the America's Now podcast, subscribe on Apple podcast or Spotify. Just search for America's Now, CGTN, America. Our executive producer is Jose Velasquez. Our sound editor is Caroline Allnut. And our copy editor is Joe Zirinko. The head of the features unit is Umberto Duran. And I am Elaine Reyes in Washington, D.C.